This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Golay. Hello, Mary Golay. Richie Ote. What's up, baby? Hey, how's it going? All righty. Hey, that's very formal. How are you, Rich Ote? It's uh, good it's to see you there, well. Richard. How good are you? See- All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Welcome to a very, very, very special episode. I'm super excited uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, uh, you know, I'll be honest. Sometimes we have people on and, uh, and I don't really like them. You know, whoa! You know, just like all right, fine, Kelly. You want to have these? Per- fine, that's fine. Like we got Amorosa book. She's going to be on, and uh, and I don't really like her at all. But uh, no way, you no, already actually, fired her. Yeah, I already fired her, so she's not going to be on actually. Uh, but no, I mean, look, let's be honest. Sometimes we have people on that we like more than other people, and um, we like everybody, but eh, it's a couple just we like more than others. Human nature. It is human nature. And so, uh, so who we have on today? Actually, uh, I like this gentleman very, very much. So I'm excited to have him on. Uh, and we'll share in just uh, a second or two exactly who that is. Uh, but if you're joining us live here, thank you for doing that. And don't forget, we do broadcast live every Thursday from 12 until 2 Pacific. And you can join that feed at reinventionradio.com. You want to join the conversation with us live, you can do that at 866-977-2346. Again, that's 866-977-2346. And we'd love to have you in as part of the convo here as well. And if you are listening now to the podcast edition of this episode, then welcome and thank you for doing that. And if you can take a moment to rate and review and subscribe to Reinvention Radio on whatever your platform of choice is, that would be greatly appreciated as well. By doing so, it helps us gain more visibility, uh, which of course allows us to share our guests and our just awesome folks who we have on here with more folks as uh, as others are able to find the show. So that's what rating and reviewing and subscribing does for the show. So thank you for taking a moment to do that. All right, let's do this. I, I want to jump straight into this because we've got a lot of ground to cover here with today's guest. And, uh, and for full disclosure, uh, today's guest was actually a former private client. So Akshay was oh. actually a, a a former private client as a part of the alliance, which is the uh, small group coaching stuff that uh, that we do. And uh, and even if he wasn't, it would be an honor and a privilege for sure to have him on because his story is nothing short of amazing. So Wade, let's uh, let's actually bring Akshay up uh, now and give this mm, wonderful gentleman an opportunity to say hello. What's up, my man? How are you, brother? Hey, brother, doing well. How are you doing? All right, all right. So welcome to Reinvention Radio. Thank awesome so to have you here. Yeah, man. And uh, and you got a just a, an unbelievable backstory, and you've been through uh, literally hell and back. But um, I, I think it's probably best to open up with, uh, well, why, why don't you just simply, sim- let, let's do this, which is simply share with us uh, what, what the Dalai Lama who gets an endorsement on their book from the Dalai Lama? I mean, like, right? like seriously, just to kind of you know put some perspective on this. You are the only person that I know, and I know New York Times bestselling authors. I know you know some folks who put out a lot of books have had a lot of sales. I don't know anybody that has been able to get the Dalai Lama to provide an endorsement of of your book. And your book is Firvana, which is a great great title and we're going to talk a lot about that. But what did the Dalai Lama say about the book? We just got to get that off the table real quick. What 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 did sure. the Dalai Lama say? <laughs> 
He said, Fearvana inspires us to look beyond our own agonizing experiences and find the positive side of our lives. And he also wrote the full forward as well, which was pretty amazing, as you can imagine. <laughs> how just did a huge you do honor. that? How did you do that? A publicist <laughs> help you get to him? or No, no. It was just all me. It was a cold, essentially, quote unquote, cold pitch. I uh, uh, oh, oh, wait a minute. Some... All you. I got a question. So, <laughs> so you wrote it down and then you ran to a big event and you said, here, sign this? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no, that's not nice. I'm just messing. Can you actually stage right? the Dalai Lama? Does that even happen? It's not even possible. I actually haven't met him yet. This was just through reaching out. I uh, I reached out to the email on his website, and that kind of got me nowhere. So I did like a ton of research. I found one point of contact in his office. I reached out to him, and uh, then like three people later, after one person connected me to the next, connected me to the next, I shot a personal video for His Holiness, and I think that was um, a game-changing strategy that actually has led to some very uh, noteworthy endorsements as well, especially the forward from His Holiness. But I shot a personal video, and finally, after three people, I connected to this one monk in the office there, and after four to five months of just healthy persistence, building a relationship with him, I remember him writing to me saying, considering everything you've been through and your genuine desire to serve, I'll press your case. Wow. And nice. two, weeks, two weeks after he said, I'll press your case, I got this beautiful letter in the mail with his holiness's signature and his seal that we now have framed up in our wall. It's just a, it's just a huge honor, as you can imagine. That's what have you done lately, cool. Steve? I know, right? <laughs> So, I'm a loser. So you have a class Steve can sign in up for now, right? I know, right? How to get the Dalai Lama to write the forward for your book. Actually, that's a course I would pay for. So, all right. So we got we to gotta take a bunch of steps back because obviously if the Dalai Lama steps up and says, yeah, your story is pretty interesting, uh, you must have a pretty interesting story. So – Let's take a, a number of steps back, and, uh, and and we don't have to go all the way, all the way back. But I, I want to start with let, let's just let's pick things up, unless you think there's something before this uh, that you feel like we need to address. But let, let's pick things up where you wanted to serve our country, uh, and basically they told you that you you couldn't serve. Uh, for various reasons. You, you want to start there or do you want to start before that? Because I think that's really where, where things t- took an interesting turn for you. But uh, it, yeah. I, I'll leave it to you in terms of where you want to start. Sure. It's pretty much there. And like, I mean, right before that, just to kind of touch on, you know, I had squat, I, I spent about a year and a half of my life in high school on drugs and, and very heavily immersed in that world. I lost two friends to drug addiction and I was the first person in my group to start doing the hard stuff. So it easily could have been me and getting out of that world is what then had me join the Marines. And like you said, Steve, it was a little bit of a challenge just to go in because uh, two doctors told me Marine Corps boot camp would kill me because of a blood disorder I have since I was born. So I had to kind of fight my way into the Marines. I got medical waivers. It took me about a year and a half just to get into them. Marines. And this was after stopping drugs and overcoming all of that. So since since joining the Marines is when I really started to find the value in embracing struggle, in engaging fear and testing myself. So I started doing all kinds of other stuff like mountain climbing, rock climbing, cave diving, ice diving. I mean, you kind of name it. Nature became my playground to uh, push myself and explore my limitations. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007, I was deployed to Iraq. Wow. Where, which led me to the next phase of certain struggles and, and overcoming that, which is what led me to Fearvana as well. Mm-hmm. So let, let, let me ask you this because I actually do want to touch upon uh, – man, because what, what a lot of people don't understand is that you know, when you look at folks who have had the types of struggles that you had growing up, you know, sometimes it comes from having too much and not knowing what to do with mm-hmm. yourself. Other times it comes from mm-hmm. having – Nothing at all. It just if, so we can establish a, a bit of mindset here. Yeah, T- take us back to why did you? 
why were you so heavily into drugs, man? And, and like the hard stuff as well. I just want to understand like where your head was at at that point. Is it, sure. a, bro- is it a is it a broken home thing? Did you hate your dad? I mean, like what what was no. going on? I actually had great family, you know, love my parents, extremely close to them today. They put me in great schools, had really everything I could ask right. for, you know. And uh, I think it was partly, you know, I was lost. I moved around from India to Singapore, like moved from Bombay to Bangalore to Singapore to Austin. I moved to Austin when I was 13. So definitely not, you know, not even close to the person you, you're here today in terms of knowing what a path was and what, what I wanted to do. And I think a part of me, like looking back and looking who I am today, probably has a sort of, you know, the nature versus nurture conversation of some sort of innate drive to do like seek out a high and and it just found a very negative way to do it and obviously like i don't blame my friends i take responsibility for my actions but i think if i had found a group of people who were let's say rock climbers and mountaineers i might have gotten into that world instead Mm -hmm. you know so combination of not knowing who i was being lost finding that environment it led me down that path and drugs became my way to push myself which is why i was like the first one to start doing the harder stuff and just push that line pretty far and in Mm -hmm. fact the other person who started with me is no longer alive today so that you know it's true two very drastic turns uh, as a result of some of the choices we made wow so going then through the the marines and and you actually serve how, how many tours did you end up serving six years in the marines and one tour in iraq six years wow and one one tour in iraq wow. yeah but mm-hmm. he had to go in front of the jeep to make sure there weren't any bombs. <laughs> well, you're right. It wasn't just like a happy little tour. Let's just give. Let's just give you a. a, a actually, we're going to put you on a desk, man. Let's just, yeah. let's just have you write some things down for us and all. Yeah, tell everybody which box not to check, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, on the entry so, form. How, you know. how did you end up walking in front of the 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 jeeps and the, I mean all the, the vehicles and and making yeah. sure that there were no what do they call those IEDs? No, no IUDs. What, yep. What's that? No, it's IEDs. IED. IED. Yeah, uh, I, 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 wrong commercial. Wrong commercial. Sorry. So, so you went out in front of the and basically you were trying to find bombs, like trying to find things that would blow up the caravan. Yeah. So one of my jobs, because I was Marine Corps infantry, you know, and so I volunteered as infantry. I wanted to be infantry on the ground. And one of my jobs was whenever like our vehicle, three vehicle convoys got into danger zones, me and one other Marine would walk, sort of take the left side of the of the danger zone. I would take the right side, and you know. Sw- patrol through it to make sure there were no bombs so as you can imagine it was a fairly dangerous job because if somebody was going to get blown up first guess who would be right so it sort of became a running joke in the marines which was funny haha like nanavati's going to get blown up today <laughs> <laughs> wow i mean you, yeah, you would do that with your laugh. you didn't use like a medical uh, metal detector or anything you just like, i mean we, scuffle along like what are you thinking like the stingrays <laughs> mary's thinking it's like moving your Finding feet the around under the away. sand right Scare just shuffle your away. feet yes <laughs> well we Yikes. had at the time we went in 2007 we had the technology that could stop radio frequencies so a lot of times it was looking for wires because um like our vehicles had i forget what it was called now but this thing that could stop radio free or at least theoretically and thankfully we didn't have to experience that but we did have one vehicle actually in our company i wasn't a part of that convoy but one vehicle in our company got hit with an ied Thankfully, nobody was killed in that vehicle, but um, but you know our biggest threat was was the IEDs, and of course, like little fire like rounds going off and stuff like that here and there. But our biggest threat was the was the bombs. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I only found out like about seven months ago at my ten year Iraq reunion, my staff sergeant told me that our vehicle actually drove over an active IED and just happened to not explode. Oh. And I didn't know that till ten years later. <laughs> wow! 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 Frightening. Pretty interesting to learn that about the about my experience out there. Just sort of you know mm-hmm. existential uh, why I'm here kind of thing. <laughs> So go ahead, Mary. Well, I was okay. So you've had a ton of adversity, and my I have a little saying like adversity is what stretches you to grow. 
But with that intense adversity, if it's not just acute, it's chronic, and you had chronic adversity um, in your life from, you know, being in the Marines and your lifestyle before you went in, that kind of sticks inside of you. So how did you turn that around to your advantage? In- it was so. It, yeah, no. So it was uh, sure it was actually when I came back, when I really hit a low poem, low moment. I mean, years after coming back from the war, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And then I struggled with alcohol addiction until I hit a point that I was, you know, on the verge of suicide. And this wasn't that long ago. And then I kind of from there, I learned to moderate alcohol. But eventually I stopped it completely because I just realized moderation was never much of my thing. So, you know, but when I hit that low moment where I literally thought about taking my own life, that's when I really realized something needed to change. I mean, it shocked me that I would even think that. And that's what led me to the years of research in neuroscience and psychology and spirituality that led me to this book and this concept of fearvana. And ultimately that exactly like what you're saying, Mary, you know, is that that adversity can push you to grow and and it can also drive you to some dark places. But learning how to transform our adversity in something useful because, you know, we all suffer in our own way. And how do you make something useful out of that? And that's as a result of really hitting a low moment. It's what led me to that search initially just to heal my own brain, but then on a greater search of ultimately how do we all do that? And I've come to find that the greatest moments in my life were through adversity, like the Marines, the pushing my limits in the outdoors. I've spent a month skiing across an ice cap in minus 40 degrees, you know, climbing mountains in the Himalayas, all kinds of stuff like that. And even that moment when I was on the verge of suicide, like that was a gift to me that led me to Fearvana. So I'm grateful for all of it, the highs mm-hmm. and the lows. Mm-hmm. So we, we can't just like gloss over that, man. <laughs> a month yeah. on the polar cap. So this, so this is where you try <laughs> to kill yourself, right? So you decided, because like for me, like an hour on the polar cap would be like a death sentence. So you should hook him up with Arctic Mike. <laughs> with Arctic yeah, Mike, Antarctic right? Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Antarctic yeah. Mike. Yeah. So a, a month on the polar cap. So you, obviously, man, you're you're wired to try to to try to push yourself. You're wired, as you said. I mean, to to seek out these these highs. And so a month on the polar cap with with temperatures that drop well under. Zero, of course, as you said, I mean, 40 below and whatnot is not yeah. unusual. Uh, was this a guided mission or did you just say, hey, a helicopter dropped me here and, <laughs> and pick me up in a month? Like what, what was the purpose of that? We were actually skiing across Greenland, so it's the second largest ice cap in the world. So we were cross-country skiing, and we uh, dragged about a 190-pound sled with 32 days' worth of food and supplies to survive out there for a month. And it took us, yeah, it took us about a month to go that 350 miles uh, across that across the ice cap. Mm-hmm. It was partly, I mean, in its own right, it's a very you know ambitious endeavor, but it's also eventually I want to do, I want to ski to the South Pole in Antarctica. So this is sort of a training ground for that. But I mean, as you can imagine, it was a hugely uh, enlightening experience about yourself when you when you live out in one of those in, in such a hostile environment for a month. And in fact, the year after we were in Greenland, a British explorer died while attempting the same expedition. Jeez. So those storms got pretty brutal out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting, man, because you know, obviously, obviously, you're you're uh, you've got a. Um, so you haven't stopped going to those extremes. Well, basically, right? I, I mean, you, you, you know, you've got a you've got a gear. And, and that gear is kind of like for a lot of us, like like for me, my gear is mm, I'm gonna say it's like one. Like, you know, like if I'm a car, my gear is one. I'm just like mm. like you're yes. in like gear ten, dude. Like in all, a Maserati, right? Like all the time in gear ten. And, and I think you even said that you, today your greatest fear is, is stillness. Yeah, you got to drive people fucking nuts, man. Like uh, <laughs> because you are go 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 go. Is is there? Like, is this a blessing or a curse? 
I think I've, I've come to learn through my own evolution. It can be a bit of both. Ultimately, it's what you make it, you know, because I always like to say, like, when I share these stories, it's not like everybody has to do this to sort of evolve or grow. You know, what I call is what's your worthy struggle? You know, this was my worthy struggle. But in fact, when I decided to write the book, that was so much tougher to me, like sitting on a computer in a comfortable AC environment was way tougher to me than like going for a marathon, like going for a running a marathon. I would often procrastinate by going to run a marathon. Literally, I would go running up hills and running marathons. And I'm like, I'm just not going to go right, you know. Mm -hmm. And you've written a book, Steve, you know, I mean, it's to me, it was a brutal process. But at the time, that was my worthy struggle, you know. So for a little while, I haven't done one of those intense outdoor expeditions. And I came to realize that in our own evolution, as we keep growing, we find what that next worthy struggle is. And and that's where we reach the next stage of our own growth. And in that, there is sort of a new, I like to call it a new awakening. And, and that's where we not just grow personally, spiritually, but also in terms of the greater impact we can make. Like the book was transformational for me in every way. And just the impact it's making as well has been beautiful. So I needed to do that, but I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of missing the outdoor. So next year I'm going to venture back to do something. I'm not sure what it is yet. (laughs) So when you say that stillness is not your jam, basically, that's physical stillness. But do you, with what you've gone through and what you're writing about, it implies there's an inner strength in stillness. Is that kind of correct? Yeah, absolutely. Like, because I realized that often, even some of these quote unquote positive things, what I was doing was like running marathons and, you know, climbing in the Himalayas was often away from running away from myself. Because a lot of these things I did, you know, sort of before I was diagnosed with PTSD, I was still drinking, but I never really saw it as a problem. And in some ways, like even alcohol and these quote, like positive things were just a way to run away from myself. And now embracing stillness has been extremely challenging for sure, but it's a beautiful way to start tapping into all the stuff that's there in our subconscious, you know? So one of the exercises I learned from my endurance cyclist friend of mine is, and, and he he's actually done this race across America where he biked for 11 days with like 11 hours of sleep total in the whole 11 days. I mean, crazy what he did. Okay. And one of the things he used to do for training, he used to sit still, staring into a wall. So like no painting, no music, no TV, no stimuli whatsoever. And he would do it for 24 hours and then go riding for 24 hours. Now, I can't do it for 24 hours yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like I'd lose my mind. Mm-hmm. But we've been doing it for like 45 minutes in an hour. It's very, it's, I mean, it sounds like you're just sitting still staring at a wall, but it's very challenging. And it's awesome what comes up. It's beautiful. It's scary. It's a, it's a really powerful experience. And uh, I've, like, I'm not going to lie, I've kind of stopped it recently, but I'm actually now this weekend when I, before I do my long run, I'm going to get back to it and, uh, and see what shows up because it's, it's awesome what shows up and, and scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sure. amazing sometimes how some of what we do is just how we look at it, the paradigm, how we look at it, like Atlas Shrug, great book, you know, I read it, but that kind of stuff, I would go completely batty reading that kind of book, but you could give me the same amount of words or double it almost like in a stack of magazines and I could read through the stack of magazines faster. I'm not saying, you know, be the same amount of words even and I'll retain it and I'll get same thing. You asked me to run on the street. And I'm bored as can be, but you have me run across creeks over, jumping over rocks like in a canyon. I can do it for like mm-hmm. days almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, play guitar and practice scales. I want to shoot myself, although that's not a good, you know, sorry, anybody out there. Um, but it's like, you know, like, but, uh, but just playing your favorite song you want to jam with your friends, you, I can forget to eat. Mm-hmm. Right. The view we look and how we package it, it, you take data and you make me a data entry person. Same thing. Not good. But you let me look at data and let me ask interesting questions of all that data with an Excel spreadsheet or some sort of program. 
whole nother conversation. You so know? basically becomes a know thyself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it's it's really interesting, though, how, you, how you've taken a, a lot of what, obviously, you've had to um, absorb and learn how to, to really master when you come right down to it. I mean, you said know thyself, right? I mean, it's just that's exactly what we're talking about here. And so you've been able to take a lot of mm, this natural wiring, if you will, and turn it into curiosity of sorts and research and really digging into uh, this whole concept of Firvana that you've created. And, and for those who uh, are just joining us live right now, we're talking to Akshay Nanavate here, who is the author of Firvana. Uh, and, and what I want to just really try to understand is, first of all, what does uh, Firvana mean? And then what exactly did you discover in this process of, uh, of research and, and all the studying that you did and so on uh, about how to heal your own brain? And, you know, obviously uh, we've talked about this quite a, a bit on the show, which is, you know, oftentimes we, we create what it is that we need, right? So, so you – needed this to to some extent i mean uh, alcohol addiction all the other addictions uh, just the the ptsd everything else and just figuring out really how to 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 heal your own brain and also figure out how to live a happy and a meaningful life so where where did this research take you what did you discover and how did fearvana come about and what does it actually mean so, yeah, you know, when I hit that low moment, I began that years of research, neuroscience, psychology, spirituality. And now the way I define fearvana, the concept itself, is it's the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. So, you know, people say, like, follow your passion, follow your path. But I like to call it a worthy struggle because it will be hard. I think it's far more important to ask the question, like, instead of, you know, what's my desire? What is my passion? Ask yourself, what is the struggle you're, we are willing to endure? And that's your worthy struggle. You know, it doesn't have to be skiing across a mountain. It could be raising a child, playing chess writing movies, hosting a podcast, whatever it may be. But as you guys know, you know, anything worthwhile is hard. And that's what I call your worthy struggle. And in that, there is bliss. You know, happiness is not this end result, this, this sort of destination we think it that when we make the million dollars or when we get the car, the relationship. As we know, people still suffer no matter what we have. But happiness is in the process of overcoming one challenge at a time. And when we find that worthy struggle, there's such bliss in that. And that's what I came to learn in, throughout this process. You know, and, and what I came to learn again is how these, these emotions like feel Fear, stress, anxiety, guilt are so demonized that we say, you know, people say we should be fearless or don't be scared of anything. And that's the real problem. You know, like I'll give you an example. When I, in terms of overcoming my PTSD, you know, I was diagnosed with it by the Veteran Affairs Administration for various quote unquote symptoms of post traumatic stress that I had. But what I learned that the symptoms of post traumatic stress were not indicative of a disorder. So, for example, when I came back from the war, I was very jumpy with loud noises. They used that to say that it was a disorder, but that's a very normal human response to war where your brain learned to say that. You know, loud noise equals death. So inevitably, you're going to be more vigilant. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. And it's the same thing with fear, with stress, with anxiety. These things show up. It's okay when they show up. What matters is what you do with it. And like one of the most powerful things I learned throughout this was transforming my survivor's guilt. You know, like when I came back from the war, I'd lost a close friend out there. And that survivor's guilt drove me to some very, very dark places. But today, through all of this stuff, through learning how to channel it, I learned that any emotion can be useful if we consciously channel it into something purposeful into our worthy struggle. So today I have a picture up on my, my, on my, on my wall of my friend, and it says, this should have been you. Earn this life. 
And now my guilt is a driver. It helped me finish my book. It helps me stay sober. It helps me push me to do something meaningful with this gift that I've been given, you know? And it's so it's not this negative emotion. It is whatever I choose it to be. And so are all these emotions. Like we need fear to grow. We need stress to grow. That's how we, you know, like the body grows through stress and so does the mind and spirit. So that was one of the most valuable things I've learned is that the demonization of these emotions is what keeps us back. And we actually embrace them. We can allow ourselves to accept them and use them as fuel to push us forward. That's crazy. I never even thought of survivor's guilt. I mean, it makes sense in hindsight when you say that, but I never even thought of that. So I'm... I'm. You've heard of it before, haven't you? Not really. So I'm assuming, it sounds pretty obvious, for, for whatever reason, some sort of something inside of you says, you know, why, why did I survive? I should, you know, mm-hmm. like he had a family, he had this, whatever the thing was, mm-hmm. right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Could be empathy and compassion on overdrive. Yeah, you know, when you serve in that environment with the Marines, the camaraderie you build, I mean, I, like almost every, I would say the good veterans, because not <laughs> a lot of the Marines, that don't, I'm not going to, you know, but the good veterans, they all feel it to some degree. Like, you know, why me? Like, we know people who died out there. I had a junior Marine kill himself when he came back from the war, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, know people who've lost limbs and, and, you know, been hit. And it's like, why didn't I suffer enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what right do I have to be here to be happy, to be alive? And uh, again, that can drive you to some very dark places, of course. You know but what? Now- I have a thought about that. I wonder, with all the fires raging in California and seeing photos of house, house, no house, no house, no house, house, mm. you know, just jumping over homes mm. and wonder if mm. they have some kind of they're survivor Jew- guilt. They're, no, they're Jewish. It's Passover. That's what happens. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, we had the thing on the door and just Yeah, just jumps. The over. fire just goes <laughs> right over. Yeah. But no, they've got to have some kind of guilt for sure. Yeah, yeah my neighbor's think. house is decimated and mine's still standing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so what? Right, right. I, so we're all I struggling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Let, let, let me ask you this, man, because um, I just want to make sure we give you an opportunity to talk about your current work and, and how you're really turning all of this into uh, more of a, of a global enterprise, if you will. Right. So so talk about your your vision for Fearvana and and exactly what you're you're hoping this looks like. I mean, if we could fast forward you know, a few years from now, what, uh, what do you, what are you hoping everything looks like? But, but just give us a sense on what you're actually doing around this work now. Sure. So since the launch of the book now, the vision is to take Fearvana into different verticals and essentially build out like a whole Fearvana universe. So like a Fearvana Academy, Fearvana Fitness, Fearvana Adventures. We've started a nonprofit called the Fearvana Foundation. So sort of what like Sir Richard Branson is to Virgin, I want to be to Fearvana. But unlike Virgin that has airlines and mobile and all kinds of things, we want to stay in this sort of this umbrella category of enhancing well-being and looking at progress from this measure of how do we actually improve our lives. Because, you know, if we look at sort of human evolution, we've we have progress in all these other areas, and we look at this next tool that makes our life easier. But the whole thing is easier is not better. And as a result, for seeking easier, we're actually making our lives worse. And what I want to do is looking at progress from the actual like thing of how do we make our lives better. And what this Fearvana universe that I now want to build out is giving people the tools, the means, the resources, the systems to actually – the community as well. So we're going to start in Fearvana tribes, uh, but all of it to actually give people the means to live happier and truly more meaningful and empowered lives every single day. So do you – Because like, like you said, we're all suffering. Yes. <laughs> well, and we have our own inner struggle, you know. Exactly. One, two, three times a day on whenever mm-hmm. – it could be work, relationships, whatever. So mm-hmm. – do you have techniques in your book for, you know, more mundane experiences such as being a salesperson and going through rejection when you're trying to build your business? 
Yeah, I do. In fact, many of them, you know, many people I work with, is it's sort of in more regular <laughs> uh, anxiety of life as opposed to some like going to war or anything. So like one such tool, uh, is, like it's a, it's a formula called LMNOP. So just real quick, what it is is L is label and language. So you actually label the emotion and you shift your body language into something empowered. So labeling the emotion has been shown to reduce activity in the emotional part of your brain and increase activity in the part of your brain related to focus and awareness. So it allows you to not get consumed by your emotions. So if I'm feeling stress, anxiety, instead of just reacting to it, I can now consciously step above it and respond to it. So that's the L part. M is meaning. So you're asking yourself, what is the meaning to the event that's causing to the emotion? Or what is the meaning to the emotion itself? Because often we assign meanings to our emotion, like because I feel fear, I'm weak, right? Like the meaning to the emotion. And the N is when you say, this is not me, this is just my brain. And you're acknowledging to yourself that we are not our emotions, we are not our thoughts, we're something more than that. And we get to create what that something more is, which gets to the next step, which is O. And that's you opt for a new meaning. So you're shifting a new meaning to that emotion. So like when I worked with one client who suffered from severe anxiety disorder, he started recognizing that his anxiety was actually a reason why he cared about his work. Like when I feel fear about writing a bad book, it was because I cared about writing a good book, you know? So shifting the meaning to the emotion consciously. And finally, P, which is purpose and preemptive strikes. So where you actually take some action in line with your purpose to basically build new habits and actually rewire the brain itself. And preemptive strikes is preparing ahead of time for obstacles you know will show up. So if you know every time, you know, you get on the computer to write, you get nervous, how do you prepare for that obstacle? You go through this formula and then you say, I'm going to sit there and write for just five minutes, even if nothing comes out. And by doing it for five minutes, instead of retreating to watch TV, which is what this one client used to do, you start building a new brain and ultimately build new habits and ultimately shape a new destiny. So that's just one tool, for example, to help you find value in your emotion. Another is just simply to actually acknowledge and ask yourself, what does the emotion mean? Why am I scared? What am I scared of? What's what's the worst case scenario? How do I prepare for that? And by isolating yourself from the emotion, then you can understand it and prepare for it better. Mm. Yeah, no, it's really, really, really helpful. And so give us an understanding then of you I mean you work with with people right to to help them through some of this you do you have uh, individual clients or online courses or what what's your way of then sharing your fear vana teachings mm-hmm. with others at this particular juncture it's, I mean, so mostly was one-on-one clients, but I'm basically migrating out of that now. We have dig- like online courses, and now I'm in India as we speak, uh, building out the Firvana Academy is the next immediate step uh, in the Firvana universe that we're creating. So I have a startup kind of entrepreneur guru person that I'm working with. I have investors here, so we have a whole team of resources. We have access to over half a million college students, like off the drop of a hat, as soon as we're ready to tap into them. So we have a large uh, pool to 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 access and tap in. Too. So that's the next step is the Fearvana Academy is the immediate next one. Okay. So so you're in India right now. You had this uh, – obviously, you got a great book. And uh, and uh, by the way, if you guys haven't picked up a copy yet of Fearvana, uh, of course, you can grab it on Amazon and, uh, and other places where books are sold. Uh, but you've got some bonuses as well uh, tied in with the book. And uh, what, what's, the, what's the best website for folks to go to to get those bonuses? Fearvana.com. So I have an interview actually with the startup guru that I'm working with. Amazing insights. Another person who's a self-made billionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another another trainings on how to like sort of some key some seven key fears and how to master those. So those are some of the bonuses that are all available on Fearvana.com. Gotcha. F e a r v a n a. So Fearvana.com. And and yeah, I mean we got to take a, a step sort of towards then uh, where, where the future is for you in, in terms of the academy and the other things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks who have these great ideas or who have books uh, or who have you know, just mm, ideas that they think can help others. 
but mm-hmm. struggled to bring those ideas to fruition. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, creating an academy is on a whole other level. How did you get, <laughs> and especially in sort of the, the personal development type world, getting uh, people from the real world, if you will, to throw real money at something that, uh, for lack of a better term, is a little sort of on the esoteric side. How, how did you actually do that? How did you get people to uh, support your vision and actually write a, a check? Because I assume you you had to get, uh, as you said, you had to get investors behind this. So how did you get people to, to do that, especially when it's you know more on, on, the, on the personal development side of the equation, if you will? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think part of it you can attribute to, I guess, luck, but I think part of it is creating your own luck. So when I spoke at India's version of TED Talks, uh, somebody – so it's called Ink Talks. I think I think I might have sent that to you, Steve. But you know, I spoke there about Fearvana, and then somebody saw me, this company called Roundglass, and checked out. They loved what I was doing with Fearvana. And I think it's a combination of you know, I have, yes, this compelling story to share and the willingness to show that you're willing to take action to produce results yourself even if you had no resources behind you. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, like the first thing you asked me, how did you get the Dalai Lama? You know, and as you know, Steve, that I've been fairly blessed and successful in terms of the launch, like coming out with no platform, been on all kinds of media, podcasts, all over the place, and it's only going to continue to grow. So showing that I'm willing to put action in and really, you know, that I'm I'm a sort of an action taker, I'm willing to implement. And, you know, I make mistakes, of course, like the rest of us, but but I'm willing to keep rising above them and surrounding myself with people who push me to like, like this guy that I'm working with is, is actually, his name is Akshay also. Uh, what but are the I mean, odds like, of that? He, well, he, he's, right? it's like, it's like Steve in India. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but he's like, I mean, he's built out. Everybody's named Akshay in, in India. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a weird coincidence. It works out well. Cause, uh, but, I mean, I'm learning so much from him. He's, he's helped build so many companies, like help companies go from six figures in debt to making money. Like he has all these brilliant frameworks on how to go from startup to scale up to grow up a company. And, uh, I mean, his interviews on the bonuses as well. But, like, I'm pushing myself in environments that, like, make me feel like the stupid one. And I think that's how you evolve is put yourself in an environment. Like, I mean, that's why I worked with you, Steve, is to learn from your mastery, right? Like, put yourself in an environment where you feel like you don't know as much as the people around you. And yeah. then you ultimately grow and evolve. Yeah. And uh, keep putting yourself in those environments in whatever category you want, whether it be entrepreneurship or fitness or, you know, corporate, like put yourself around people who know more than you in X category and you will evolve ultimately to, you know, to grow into that, into their own um, skills and you'll ultimately adapt through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. No, that's uh, that's really sage advice. And so let me let me ask you this, because. Uh, when we met, you were here in the in the states. You, uh, I mean, you were married, right? So, um, mm-hmm. are, are you guys still? Has this uh, has the career and and the vision has it outgrown that relationship, or did she move with you to India? I mean, I'm just kind of curious because I know for a lot of entrepreneurs and those who have big visions, sometimes they they outgrow their their existing relationships, if you will. People just aren't mm-hmm. able to to grow with them. Did did that happen for you? She's currently in the U.S. right now, um, mm-hmm. and I mean we're very much still together, love each other, but there's definitely been challenges. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. There's, she's gone through some of her own spiritual journey that's been very challenging, and I think I might have mentioned some of that to you. Yeah, it's pushed us, and as I've been evolving, I mean not to say – I don't mean to sound condescending, but sort of in this fairly rapid way and professionally and personally, uh, it's it there's definitely presents challenges. So I think mm-hmm. as long as the two people are committed to the, to, 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 to being open to where you might be wrong, like looking at where your mental models don't work. So what I mean by that, we're, we're all approaching the world through a lens. And when we look at when, when that lens isn't serving us, 
like then we can evolve. And I think if we're willing to step above our lens to look at that lens, then we can then there's always room for growth. And uh, mm. not everybody's willing to because we all hold on to our beliefs. Like I mean, people fight and die and kill for their beliefs, right? But if you're willing to say, here's where I might be wrong, here's where this this lens, this mental model isn't serving me, you can rise to a new one. And as long as you keep seeking and you're willing to grow and get that feedback from yourself and from others. I think relationships can evolve and people obviously can as well. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. both at least still questioning. <laughs> and, you know, certainly applaud the work that you're doing uh, insofar as trying to help those who have had um, serious, well, serious atrocities in their life, if you will. I mean, certainly PTSD is uh, is always going to be a byproduct of, uh, you know, of something, well, traumatic by definition happening. And so, you know, certainly do applaud and appreciate the work that you're trying to do to, you know, to help those folks and move them beyond what uh, what they've had to experience. But any advice for for those who are suffering uh, in maybe the, the the PTSD arena or in uh, in other ways in their lives? And any suggestions and tips uh, that we can wrap up here with to, to help people move forward? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the most important one is stop, like, don't associate yourself with that. And what I mean by that is, like, I'll give you an example. I work with this kid who was labeled by a therapist with depression. So every time she felt sad, she said, I have depression, like, I am depressed. It became a part of her self-identity. Realize that wherever you are now, whatever you're going through is not who you are. Like, don't, that's not your self-identity, and you can define yourself differently, and you get to create that. So stepping outside of that self-identity and definition, which is what I did when I, you know, I'm not an alcoholic or PTSD. I'm something more. I get to be whatever I want to be, and creating something new. So that's part of it. And then, I mean, the single most important skill to develop, to be happy, to be a successful life is what I call to develop a positive relationship to suffering. And this isn't something I came up with either. Like research has validated that largest study in happiness calls it uh, turning adversity into an enjoyable challenge. I call it developing a positive relationship to suffering. So learning how to smile in the face of struggle. And you can do that by practicing in it, by training in it. Like my favorite way is exercise. Exercise has undoubtedly been my salvation. And in fact, one neuroscientist calls it miracle growth for the brain. It's the best way to get those chemicals, those, you know, those high in a positive way. It's, it helps grow your brain, enhances your learning, enhances your mind, body, spirit in every way. So building that positive relationship to suffering, letting go of your self-identity and surrounding yourself with empowering references, whether it be people, whether it be posters up on your wall, anything. Like, I mean, for example, on my wall, I have a poster that says during a workout, you should think these four things. And number four is I'd rather die than finish this. So are you working hard enough, mm. right? Like putting those things around you and surrounding yourself to remind yourself who you can be if you choose to commit to the struggle, to that worthy struggle, worthy of whoever you are and whoever you want to be. Yeah. Now that's that's uh, a cool perspective. I like it. It is. Real quick, what's three, two, and one on that uh, on that four things? <laughs> sure, I'll go through. So it's number one is I'm not going to make it. Number two is I want to quit. Number three is I'm going to die if I keep going. Mm. And number four is I'd rather die than finish this. And then there's a question that says, are you working hard enough? Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's really, really interesting. And definitely a poster I will not be buying. <laughs> for me, I'm like, I'd rather be eating. I'd rather be sleeping. Are you sure you shouldn't be laying down? Like My, my four would be very... <laughs> very different. All right, Akshay, we're going to have to let you go, my friend. And uh, I know it's 3 in the morning there in India, so thanks for getting up in the middle of the night to uh, to do the show with us here live. Don't forget, uh, Akshay's got a, a ton of bonuses uh, and just some really helpful tools and uh, resources there at Fearvana.com. Again, that's F-E-A-R-V, like Victor, A-N-A. So go to Fearvana.com, pick up that book. Akshay Nanavade, really do appreciate you, my friend, and we will talk to you guys Really, really soon here on Reinvention Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. For Mary Galay and Richie Ote, White Wade and Kelly Polker, I am Steve Olsher, and we will talk to you guys next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care, everybody.
You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. 